I had something on my heart to share with you, and God changed it in the prayer room this morning. Um, I may be creating a nightmare for the audiovisual team. Um, I threw a new passage at them three minutes ago. But I, all of a sudden, I just know I have to share this with you guys. So, um, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, starting in verse 23. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. <clears throat> Second Corinthians 11, verse 23. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He's speaking about his ministry, especially in defense of himself, when others are questioning his ministry and others are cutting him to pieces. And he writes this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak, who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation, if I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. I need to ask you a question. Do you believe the Apostle Paul thought spreading the gospel was urgent? The man suffered a thousand deaths for the gospel. A thousand deaths. My wife Sharon and I, as Pastor Steve told you, live in... We live in a place that if you haven't seen it, I can't even describe it. Raise your hands if you've seen it. Some of you guys have been there, right? Am I right? How could I possibly in words describe this place? The best I can do is that it is put together Boston, suburban Boston, with the veil ripped off. And the bare human evil is just exposed. Human debauchery. We have seen the death of, I mean, dozens and dozens of our friends. We have resuscitated from overdose something like a hundred people. Um, walk the avenue where we are. And the scene is a crowd on the sidewalk in various states of distance. One's bent over with his knees at his shins in a 
in an opiate nod. Another is injecting his friend in the neck. There's a drug dealer wandering around controlling the whole scene, making sure no one comes or goes without his knowing. Living in their own waste, our sidewalks are bathrooms, which you have to literally step over stuff. Um, people who are so devastated that relationship, they've just lost the capacity for that. And all it is, is the natural outworking of our sin. That's all, that's all it is. It's an amazing place to be. It's an amazing place to live. I mean, it's so easy to do ministry there. You know why? Because there ain't nobody on the street lying about their sin. I'm telling you. If you guys go to the mall around here and say, hey, do you know you're a sinner who needs a savior? <laughs> what reaction do you expect to get? If you walk the streets of Kensington and they say, you know you're a sinner, they're like, yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's right. Now, they may not understand the spiritual ramifications of that, but no one's lying to themselves about their own evil. They're not lying to themselves. And we have the privilege, the intense, insane, amazing, over-the-top, crazy privilege of ministering to them. And we don't just serve them. We obviously we serve the people who are afflicted by them. The residents, the kids, the poor. We live uh, in the poorest congressional district, I believe, in the country. Um, one stat says that 50% of the kids have gone to bed hungry. Um, everybody is, by American standards, poor. And everybody who lives there is utterly besieged by the sin around them. They cannot walk out of their homes. At this point, kids cannot play in the streets anymore. It was interesting. My wife and I were driving up the street the other day. We saw three kids on the street. It was like, whoa, what are they doing on the street? In my time there, I've been there almost 20 years, I've seen the kids retreat. They can't even come out of their homes now. Automatic gunfire is a regular, uh, just the other night, right, Sharon? Out our window, right up the street, um, across the street from some of our missionaries, regular shootings. One of our missionaries was caught in a gunfire, in gunfire. Um, The reason I'm telling you that is not to be dramatic or something. I think it's because if you understand that that's your neighborhood too, right? Remove the coat of paint, right? Remove the nice furnishings, remove, like strip it down to the human heart. And that's your neighborhood too, right? The gospel is urgent, right? It's urgent, it isn't something we can afford to say, oh, I'll make time for that later. It's just not. Now, the rest of this message, I want to make something super clear. If you start to feel guilty about anything I'm saying, pressured by anything I'm saying, somehow inwardly stressed or manipulated by anything I'm saying, I literally want you to stop listening to me. I am not here to pressure you, guilt trip you, make you feel like, oh, the, that pastor said I need to be doing more for Christ than I'm doing. No, I don't. If, if that's the way you feel, please stop listening to me because that is not why I'm here. I know now why I'm here. 
It's to give you an urgent message because I believe, I'm praying, that there's somebody in the room God wants to speak to himself about this. And maybe he's just going to use me. If this does not fall on your heart in a way which you believe God is impressing it there, then you had an enjoyable Sunday morning, fellowship in the cafe after, go home happy. If it does fall on your heart, then I guess I'll know why I'm here. I guess I'll know why I'm here. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 14. We just read what Paul was willing to suffer for the gospel. Whipped three times, I think he said, or four, I forget. I can't even remember the list now. It's like shipwrecked. By then, twice, we know he got another shipwreck later. Imagine floating in the ocean for a day and a half, not knowing if you're going to be rescued. There were no radios then. Beaten with rods. We know that every town he went through, he got a fresh beating. Imprisonments. This uncalculable suffering. Because he considered spreading the gospel urgent. And here's why he did it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of... For the love of... For the love of Christ compels us. That's why he did it. Because Jesus loved him, and he knew that Jesus loved other people that he had to reach. And he knew it was urgent, and he knew it was worth his own life. The man was ready to die for Jesus. It was urgent. Urgent. Please forgive me. I promise you these tears are real. I'm not manipulating you guys. Right? I'm, I'm, I really, I'm almost afraid to be this emotional up here because I don't want you to think that. I did not intend to come up here. And, and I told you God changed the message, right? It's like five minutes ago. Paul thought reaching the lost was so important that if it cost him the flesh on his back, he would do it. That if it cost him years in chains... He would do it. That it, if it would cost him a new assault every town he went to, he would do it. If it cost him his life, he would do it. Thank you. When I read about the Apostle Paul, I am nothing but ashamed. Some people, and many, 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 many wonderful, wonderful, God-fearing, encouraging people have come to me and said, wow, we so admire what you and your wife are doing. We so admire what God's doing in Kensington and, and, and your fellow missionaries and your senior pastor, and it's amazing what you're doing. And, and I'm so grateful when people tell me that because I'm so encouraged. But I read this, and I'm ashamed 
I think of myself as giving, having given everything for the gospel. My story is maybe like some of yours. I went, and, and I'm not bragging, I just want you to know. I went to an Ivy League school. I worked as a low-level person, but I did work in the United States Senate. After which I got, had a 20-year career in a very prestigious organization doing good stuff in the world. I ended up managing accounts worth millions of dollars. I was the man who had everything the world could offer. Then I got saved. And a couple of years into that, it started, I started to realize the world doesn't have anything to offer. There's nothing that has to offer. Nothing. I'm not here to give my testimony, but God moved me into ministry, brought me to the rock. I met the senior pastor and founder. He really took me under his wing and embraced me and invited me into the core of this growing ministry. And my heart began to burn for God's work. It began to burn for sharing the gospel and burn for reaching the lost and the needy and the broken and the devastated in the neighborhood we were in. And God allowed me to leave the working world and enter missionary life full-time. And if you were to look at my life, you'd say, wow, Craig, you are just giving it all, right? You live on no money, and you're living on faith, and you're in the worst neighborhood in America, and you risk your life, and God forbid my wife's life is literally at risk there. And you, wow. But then I read about the Apostle Paul. And I said, I haven't even begun. I haven't even begun. This dude was, I don't even know where to begin with this guy. The only one beyond him was Christ himself, right? God Almighty who hangs himself on a cross, right? That's about the only one I can think who gave more than the Apostle Paul. But I'm not God and I am man and Paul was a man and he did this. And so I stand convicted how much have I really done for the gospel? Have I gotten to a complacent place in my life where I think, oh, I've, I've done plenty. I've given it all. No, I'm not really sure I've given it all. I'm going to keep reading. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 again. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus... That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Second Corinthians, in my mind, the whole book, you're going to be surprised when I say this. I think the whole book of Second Corinthians is about death. If you... Take a high-level view of the book. The vast majority of it has a backdrop in which Paul is desperately trying to defend himself against false teachers who claim that Paul is the false teacher. He spends chapter after chapter pleading with the Corinthians. This is a church he founded. He's their pastor. He says, please, 
What do I have to do to validate myself in your eyes? What do I have to do to prove that the message I brought you was the truth? And in all of that, he ends up having to defend himself in a way he doesn't want to defend himself. He ends up having to show them how much he has suffered for this message. He literally says, I wish I didn't have to say this. I don't want to go there. I don't want to stoop to the level of my opponents and get in this debate, right, about who's the real apostle. But this is the only way, Mr. and Mrs. Corinthian, you're going to hear me, so I'm going to tell you. And in that, he outlines the tremendous suffering that he's endured. Because the love of Christ compelled him. Um, I had the super privilege, first of all, just of being at your men's retreat, right? Hallelujah. It was awesome, right? We had a great time. A great time. I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. I think I'm getting a little heavy here. Woo! Okay. Great time at the men's retreat, right? Uh, many of the guys came up to me between sessions and introduced themselves, and I got their stories. Um, they got to know me a little better. And some of the guys came up to me, and what they were really coming up to me, they were really coming to me to ask, how do I serve more? Right? How do I serve Jesus more? Now, they, they came to me to ask that because they kind of knew my background at, at The Rock and that you know, our whole life is kind of serving there, you know, the Lord, and, and the God has done such an amazing, crazy work there. Somehow or other, they think I'm, I'm in the know about these things. Um, so they, they kind of were saying in roundabout ways, how do I serve more? If you don't realize that it is the love of Christ that compels you to serve, don't bother serving. Let's start there. Don't bother. Service is the natural outcome of being loved by God. If you really know and feel that you are genuinely loved by the eternal King Almighty, you will want to serve. And it's not, <laughs> it's not an option like on the menu of options. It's part of the job description. It just happens. Right? It just happens. The eternal God pours love out of heaven down on you, you just want to share it with somebody else. It's just the way it is. Now, as a challenge, and I don't, uh, not a condemnation, I'm only, I only get one chance before you guys. I'm not condemning you, but I'm going to challenge you. If you are someone who claims to have received the love of God, and you really don't have a heart to share it with anybody else, I'm betting that you haven't received the love of God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you haven't. And uh, not a condemnation. It's an occasion for you to go home and get on your knees and say, Lord, am I missing something? Right? Is it easy for me to have great Christian fellowship every Sunday, go home and not give a thought about sharing this great love with someone else all week? Is it real easy for me to do that? If so, Lord, I think I may be missing something. When I got saved... 
The one undeniable thing that happened to me, I didn't get saved in the church. I didn't know nothing about doctrine. I didn't know nothing about the Bible. I got saved because God called me, and one thing was for sure. I knew the love of God. This thing hit me, and I couldn't even explain it. I, w- I went and thought to myself, my goodness, I, he loves me. How the heck do I even know this? <laughs> you know, I, I didn't understand it. I'm walking around life with this, oh, I know him. I, he loves me. Just, and I started to feel like, doesn't everybody want this? You know, I, I want this for other people. It just comes with being loved by God. Paul experiences it in such a, such a measure that he was willing to give his life for other people so that they would know the love of God. But he says something very interesting. The end of verse 14, he says, We judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And maybe if I'm going to give a title to the message, I usually don't title my messages. But here's the, me- here's the title. You ready? I'm just kind of making this up. Are you dead? Are you dead? Christ, pardon me for saying it, Christ came to kill you. Right? And that sounds, oh, Pastor Craig, that's blasphemy. <laughs> Christ came to put you to death. It says it right here. Here's the thing. When Christ died for us, we died with him. And we must understand what it means to die with him. The Bible says that we have something it calls the old man. The old self. Another word that it uses is flesh. Now, you're well-taught Calvary Chapelites, so you understand what that means. The seat of all your evil desires. Christ came to kill it. He came to nail it to the cross as he was dying for it. Right? The Christian life starts with death. We always, and, and we should, we need to bring a message of life to people, right? We don't often think that what we're doing is we're bringing a message of death. We're telling them, number one, without this, you're dying. Number two, with this, a part of you must die. Paul goes on to use the word reconciliation later on in this passage. He says that his ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. I looked up reconciliation. You guys all know what it is, but let's get technical about it. I happen to oversee the administration at Rock Ministries, and we have a a couple of bookkeepers, and they're fantastic at what they do. Each month, they do a reconciliation. Who's in accounting or something? Anyone hear that? Financial reconciliation. Someone back there like, yep, financial reconciliation. What it means is your bank statement 
has to exactly match up with your in-house books. That's kind of what it means. And if you find numbers that are different, right? One of those numbers has to be changed. You have to track it down and say, well, why is that number wrong? And what number is the right number? So reconciliation from an accounting point of view means making a wrong number right. Reconciliation from a relational point of view means there is a difference between two people. And one of them has to be made right. But understand, when you make something right, you kill something. Right? Between you and God, prior to Christ, you were irreconciled. The Bible literally says that we were his enemies, which is a shocking statement. God's enemies. To bring us into reconciliation, the process is death. He has to kill something in us so that we can be reconciled. The message of the gospel is first a message of death. Something must die in us so that something can live. The old man must be crucified. When we consider the urgency of the gospel, when we consider what Paul was willing to suffer for the gospel, it's supposed to make us say, you know what? Is my old man really dead? Is that thing in me that God wants to stamp out, really stamped out? Is my personal agenda, the wonderful plans I had for my life, all my dreams and goals that I made out of some fleshly desire, is it really gone? Am I willing genuinely to confront the sin in my life? To say, you know what? God says this is wrong. I'm doing it. At the very least, I need to admit God is right. Even if I don't have the power to overcome it. At the very least, I need to say, you know what? At least I'm admitting I'm wrong. Am I willing to start killing these things in, in myself? The reason is because the gospel is urgent and you can't bring it to a world unless you're dead. You can't. You can't wander out onto the streets and say, hey, brother, let me share you the gospel while you go home and the computer's on to every X-rated whatever there is on there. Right? You can't, hey, brother, let me share you in the gospel and go home and pop that bottle and yet another one goes down. Again, I'm not condemning anybody. I, I'm not here to condemn you. Uh, forgive me. I just feel like God's telling me to do this. So please, I'm not, not, no condemnation. There's hope in Christ if you're caught in those things. Trust me. Case in point, okay? But if you're not dead, how do you bring a message of life? You don't. You become useless. And the gospel is so urgent. One fantastic thing about being here is that we're in the city. I know something about cities. You should see the city I live in. It's a zoo. 
I know somewhere in Boston there's a zoo. There is a zoo around here, right? There's zombie land somewhere here. Right? I may not have seen it, but I know it's here. And so at the very least, I know there's an urgent need for this gospel in that zombie land. Right? I may not know much about downtown, much about, I'm sure you all live in great places, wherever you guys live. I assume you don't live in zombie land, maybe you do. But I have very, I, at the very least, I know there's an urgent need for the gospel in zombie land. And I know a bunch of dead Christians need to go down there. Christians who have died. Who have said, I'm ready to give all for Christ. Because it says, all died so that they may live for Christ. The reason we die is to live for something vastly better than ourselves. Way better than ourselves. This is something I can give you personal testimony about. Backed up by every page in Scripture. By every verse. Living for God will satisfy you far more than living for yourself. End of story. If you haven't yet experienced that, try it. Call me. You will one day call me and say, you were right, Pastor Greg. There is nothing like living for God. Paul knew that. Living for God brought him hardships that you and I will never know. But he would never tell you different. He would say, it is worth it. So worth it. We have to be willing to die. Remember the made-up title I just, Are You Dead? Right? Are you dead? That's a matter between you and God. There is nobody on the outside who's going to know. Because, this, you know, I'm looking at a room full of people, and as far as I know, you guys are all squared away. <laughs> Everybody here is a put-together, solid, born-again believer, as far as I know, right? Maybe as far as everyone else in the room knows, that's what they think of you. But inside, you may know there's something that needs to be put to death. And that'll be between you and him. And I strongly challenge you. Because your real life awaits for your old life to die. I have a testimony in my personal life that God has done things with my life. Let me phrase it this way. This is a genuine statement. It is not an exaggeration. I have the best life on planet Earth. Not an exaggeration. I honestly believe that. Yes, I have wonderful blessings. I have, frankly, the world's greatest wife. I get to serve in an incredible spirit-filled ministry with broken, broken people, kids who are, would otherwise end up dead or in jail. Amazing. But at the center of it all is my Lord. I know him. I don't want to sound super spiritual, please. But I know him. And knowing him, whoa. <laughs> there, you know what's funny? Before I was saved, 
maybe I was like some of you guys, I would say, well, what's the purpose? Like, why am I here? Like, what's the meaning of life, right? This is like genuine questions in my heart, right? What is the meaning of life? I never ask that question anymore. That question doesn't even cross my mind anymore. That doesn't even sound like a question to me anymore. I know exactly what the meaning of my life is. It is to know my Lord and Savior and serve him with every breath that I have. That is the meaning of life. That question is so settled that there isn't even a question remaining to settle. But God had to do something in me to kill me. I was the guy who a Christian would approach. This literally happened, actually. A Christian guy approached me. I'm sitting on a, on a park bench. This guy, nice guy. Young guy, about my age, came up to me. Hey, bro, would you be interested in a conversation about God? Everything I could do to hold myself down on that bench, I was going to get up and punch him straight in the nose. The very mention of God, that was me, right? Don't talk to me. Don't give me this Jesus stuff. I literally got hostile. And then God introduced himself to me. And now, insanely, I'm standing up here talking to you about Jesus. It's insane. This, this must be God, right? I can't explain this. I'm, I'm up here. I'm the guy now coming to you on the park bench saying, hey, let's have a conversation about God, right? Talk about turning things around. He took all the enmity against him that was in my heart, the wickedness, and he killed it. You would not have thought of me as some evil, like, satanic guy. Not like Gio. <laughs> the guy wasn't like gangbanging and whatever the craziness that guy was involved in, right? You, I was the put together. I worked in the United States Senate. Like, I wasn't robbing banks and shooting them up and, you know. Well, let me tell you, there's a greater evil than all that. And it lurks in the heart. I was wicked to the core. Wicked to the core. 100% rejecting the one who created me. But the love of Christ. He loved me. Still can't explain that one. And came after me. I remember one day, this is after wanting to punch the Christian in the nose and all that stuff, whole different situation. Somebody asked me, do you believe in God? And you know, it was very interesting, even though I was very hostile toward Jesus in particular, it wasn't God, it was Jesus, of course, I was hostile to. I said, yeah, I, I believe in God. Because despite all my inner wickedness, it never seemed to make sense to me that the world just popped into existence on its own. Somebody made this thing, right? That was pretty logical to me. And so I said, well, yeah, I, I believe in God. And normally that question would have been asked and I would have answered and I would have moved on, never given another thought. But all of a sudden I couldn't go back from that question. And I couldn't go back from the answer I gave. I started, suddenly started saying to myself, wait a minute, did I just say that? I do believe there's God. And in the best way I knew how, I started to seek him. 
But now I know that had nothing to do with me. That was him opened my heart to him. I wasn't so wise and spiritual that I would seek the most high. The Bible says none seek him. I don't know what he did in me, but I began to have a hunger and thirst for him. I didn't even know him. I'm just like looking up to the sky like, two things, I want to know who you are, and I'm going to do whatever you want, to, whatever you want me to do. Those are my two, my two kind of like searching questions. Who are you and what do you want me to do? I'll do it. And you want me to jump off a bridge? I'll jump off a bridge. Right? He drew me in. He fished me. Right? He fished me with love. I was in the middle, at the time, I was in the middle of crushing clinical depression. I told the guys on the retreat about that. I was devastated. I was a walking zombie. My, I lost weight. I, my eyes are sunken in. My parents thought I was going to die. It was bad. And in the middle of all that, God reached me. And I believe, actually, all that depression and all that misery started because of the, I rejected him. And I believe he broke me down. And he stripped myself from me and began the killing process. But then... He gave me a new birth. Then I came to him. He showed me Christ and I said, I'm in, Lord. And I meant it because he put it in my heart to mean it. And then I started growing. I was far from the, the, the old man that has to be killed. That old man was kicking and screaming. He wasn't going down easy. Years, besetting sin, just growing pains. I just didn't know anything about anything. And God was so faithful. So faithful to overcome the things in myself that I simply could not overcome on my own. He was so faithful to kill the old man. Now understand, the Bible also says that the old man has this stubborn habit of getting up out of the grave. Man, that thing. Right? Just when you think, well, I'm never going to curse anybody out in traffic anymore. Somebody cut you off. Right? Right? That guy gets out of the grave like 10 times a day. Right? Jesus talks about taking up your cross, and that is a daily activity. Very interestingly, Romans 5.13. I'm going to go there in my Bible. Take, give me a second to just find it. Romans 5.13 talks about that. Oh, I'm sorry. I misread my own writing. 8.13. Romans 8.13 says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit, you can kill yourself every day. That's what it's saying. On your own, you can't. 
How many of you have memories prior to being a Christian of the impossibility of changing yourself? Oh, I have that one. I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop what I was doing. Number one, I didn't want to stop what I was doing. And even if I did want to stop what I was doing, I couldn't stop what I was doing. I have memories of the impossibility of changing myself. I know for a fact that God changed me because I can't do it. And yet, as a Christian, we have the promise of the Spirit that says every day you can do it. But you have to do it by His Spirit. There's no formula for that. There's no like, hey, say this particular prayer and God's Spirit will empower you to overcome all the temptations of your life. There's no such thing. As much as it is anything else, it's a heart cry to God to say, God, I can't do this. Please do it for me. It's an attitude of the heart that simply says, I am utterly bankrupt here, Lord. You got to do this. What kind of God wouldn't do that for you when your heart is crying out for change? When your heart is crying out for the death of the old man every day? Of course he would do that for you. It's what he wants for you. Now let's bring it back full circle. We started off seeing Paul enduring the unthinkable because the love of Christ compelled him because the message he had to bring to the world was just that urgent. You're not going to even really desire to kill yourself so much on a daily basis unless you think this really is urgent. Unless you think that you actually have a place in the kingdom where God is going to send you and represent him and reach the lost. If you don't think that, if you don't feel that you're part of this kingdom community that has to reach the world, then none of this is really going to go anywhere. The fuel for this is the love of Christ for a lost world. The lost world is worth killing yourself for on a daily basis. Does that make sense? It's worth sacrificing your needs, your desires, your wants, your temptations, your blah, blah, blah. It's worth it. There is no fulfillment you will find greater than that on this planet. When you lay down your life for those who need For those who need the gospel, it's what you need to do, Christian. I've met um, many of the folks at this church because you've come to Kensington and they are now, I literally consider you guys my friends. Like, I know if I went in Boston, I'm like, I'm moving next to you guys. Like, we are going to be boys, you know? I mean, and all the wonderful women who've come down. I know you guys, I'm starting to really kind of get to know you. And I know many of the guys that I know here right now, I am speaking to their heart. I know for a fact that they're saying, that's right, Craig. I know if they represent anything about your church, 
that there is a beating heart in this church for Jesus. And there is a genuine concern for everybody on the other side of that wall. I know it. I think the reason I'm here today is to remind you that it's there. That your city awaits. But you have to kill yourself. Enough with whatever it is that's holding you back from serving the Lord God Almighty. By His Spirit, you can do this. On your own, you can't. Paul pleads with the Corinthians in another passage. And he says, please be reconciled to God. It's very interesting to me. This is written to Christians. Be reconciled to God. It's written to people who are already reconciled to God. So I can read that one of two ways. I can say there are people in that church who weren't saved. And Paul is still trying to reach them. Or maybe Paul is saying to believers, complete the reconciliation process. Make sure you're dead. Make sure that the old man is not standing in the way of serving your king. Maybe that's what he's saying. I was raised in Rhode Island. Right over the border, right? You know, Anybody know Cranston? Yeah, that's my home. Right? I always looked to Boston as the local big city. Right? It always had that wonder of the local, you know, if you live near a big city, it's always like, that's my big city. Providence is too small to really grab onto as something you could be proud of, but it's like Boston, you know? So when I'm here, I just kind of vibe with the place. Right? You guys are like my people, you know? If I went down to Arkansas or something, they'd be my Christian brothers and sisters, but they wouldn't be my people, right? You guys are my people. And I've been personally called to a city. I've been called to Philadelphia. I know what it is to be called to a city. And now that I'm here, I kind of have a heart for Boston, right? But I'm not the one called to Boston. You're the ones called to Boston. You're it, right? If you think that there are hundreds of thousands of born-again believers in the Boston area who are just going to reach out to the city and get the gospel to everybody, you are lying to yourself. You are a rare breed, Looks like a lot of people in this room. This is nothing. The small sliver of a fraction of people in Boston who are actually sold out for the Lord, you'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. It's on us, folks. It's on us. The little tiny army here in Boston, right? We got to reach the city. Ain't nobody else going out to reach the city, folks. Make no mistake about it. Few born again, sold out believers 
That's all we got. And it's you. I almost don't really know what else to say. See them in my notes? In my notes? You know how much of these notes I used? That's how much I used. I guess I was supposed to say this. There's a city out there dying. You're the only ones who have the cure. The only ones. If you aren't willing to die yourself, you're never going to reach those who are dying. And I want to encourage you today. Whatever you heard and whatever I said, I don't even remember what I said at this point. If you heard something in what I said that stirred your heart, it is time for you to do business with your king. You got to do some business. It's time to die. And then it's time to live. And bring that message to others so they can live. I have no idea what time it is. I don't know if I've gone too long or too short. So, beautiful. Pastor Steve says there are prayer, there's a prayer team and a worship team to come forward. Do we have prayer team as well? Bring, come on forward, guys and ladies. Um, so, If there are folks here to pray with you, and I'm, I think there are, right? You guys all know how this works. I don't know how this works here. I'm just making it up as I go along. Listen. Like I said, did you hear something today that drives you to do business with God? Why don't you do it here? Why don't you not wait so you leave the building, get in your car, and things feel kind of normal again, and the emotions of it have worn off, and, the, the, you know, and you can easily forget about it. Why don't you go up to these people? And why don't you start doing business with God? Right? Why would you leave and not? If there's someone here today who has never been reconciled to God, I, I don't know. Maybe there's someone who's not a Christian in the room. First of all, you are welcome here. Thank you for being here. Praise the Lord that you're here, right? But maybe there's something in you right now that you can't explain that's kind of like a soul tug. And God is saying, today's the day that I want you. Well, I'm not going to go into a big, big, deep explanation of what that means. Come up to pray with people. They will tell you what that means. That is from the Lord. And that is not something you want to ignore. Your life could change today. Your eternity could change today.